Hi folks, Kevin Lauderdale here. We had a bunch of audio problems with this recording. Don't know why. Probably all those bots eating up bandwidth as they scoop up all the tickets to Hamilton. Anyway, we were actually reduced to re-recording bits, but there's still some dropouts. Really sorry. The audio quality is not up to our usual standard, but the content is. So please give a listen, and as an Easter egg at the end, we'll put in some of our technical jiggery-pokery for your education, edification, and laughter. We have a few questions for the people who made Icetastrophe. So are you under the impression that major characters can survive just about everything, including frostbite, flash freezing, and helicopter crashes? Follow-up question. You know that real life doesn't work like the A-Team, right? <laughs> Do you want to build a snowman? <laughs> Did you feel the need to make this movie because you were attacked by an ice cube tray in your youth? <laughs> when this film debuted, did Kurt Vonnegut spin so hard in his grave that he burrowed down to the Earth's core, thus inspiring the new sci-fi channel film, Kurtquake? Oh, nice. uh, all this, all these questions and many more may or may not be answered on this episode of Temple of Bad. Welcome to the Temple of Bad, the show where we talk about movies so awful, they're practically a religious experience. I'm Dan Persons. I'm Andrea Lipinski. I'm Kevin Lauderdale. I'm Rachel Hawkins. And remember that each and every movie we cover on Temple of Bad is available for you to watch on Netflix Instant View, and we recommend you do because, really, do we have to do everything for you kids? Would it kill you to take out the garbage every now and then? I think it's a good idea. I never had kids. Uh, anyway, Hawk, you picked the film this time, and you picked Icetastrophe, a.k.a. Christmas Icetastrophe, or as I like to call it, White-tastrophe. Mm. More on that later. <laughs> it's obvious, isn't it? <laughs> but, Hawk, explain yourself. For God's sake, why? Um. I am intrigued by movies who, that basically turn things into a disaster. Um, <laughs> any casual thing into a disaster. Uh, Ice Tastrophe, uh, Splinter Bageddon, um, <laughs> um, No Exact Change. You mean, of course, you got the title wrong. It's No Exact Change. Oh, puss. <laughs> Bruise pocalypse. <laughs> oh, we got to get in touch with sci-fi. Apparently, we've got uh, we've got something going here. <laughs> Five minutes later, though. <laughs> so, I'm looking at the title. I'm going, wow, that seems awful. And then I read the description. And I'm like, wow, that seems awful. And then I'm like, yes. And you said yes, and we all said, oh, no. Okay. So um, this film was actually something made for sci-fi, um, the cable channel, um, and it's in sort of the Sharknado, Sharktopus vein. Um, you know, it gets really annoying trying to hype the good stuff on sci-fi when they've got this kind of shit going on. Uh, it's called Defiance, and it's really a really good throwback to Trek and Babylon 5, and it's on sci-fi. What, so the aliens mate with the sharks? No, 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 there are no sharks in this, you know, so. And in actuality, there are no sharks in this film either. But that's not necessarily a good thing in this particular case. <laughs> Could have used some sharks. Anyway, let's check out the trailer to give you a – well, actually, this isn't really going to give you a sense of what the film is like. I only wish it was this good. But here is the trailer for Icetastrophe. What is that? 
Be lucky if this town never sees a white Christmas again. What the hell was that? I have no idea. This is the scientific discovery of the century. Never in a million years did I believe something like this could happen. This is way bigger than anything we can handle. What the hell is that? It's a lot more than just a meteor. We need to get everybody out of town. Let's go! I need you to listen to me. This thing is spreading and it is cold. Arctic storm cold. Do not go outside. What's your problem, buddy? Chill! Ah! Okay, so Icetastrophe takes place in the small mountain town of Honkyville, <laughs> located in the great state of Caucasia. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know exactly where. Did, did anybody catch the town that this was supposed to be set in? Anybody? You mean which Canadian town where it's actually yeah, yeah, which Canadian. being filmed? <laughs> Yeah, no. Which which on screen fictional town this is supposed to be oh, taking oh, it's place? It's in places like um, Tannen, <laughs> um, near Ornament, or um, <laughs> what places is named Tannen? I remember that. Okay, it's, so it's okay. things like that. Got it. Got it. Really generic, and that that. That's not a surprise. Um, it's a mountain town. It's not really a ski resort or anything. This kind of vagueness, by the way, will come back to bite us on the ass frequently with this film. Um, not to put too fine a point on it, but the upshot is that a mysterious meteoroid lands nearby, splitting in two as it falls. And faster than you can say, Ice-9 Ship begins freezing. Um, it comes. It kind of comes in waves. We'll talk about the physics uh, for that in a bit, um, because they are the most hilarious thing about the film, actually. But uh, if you're trapped in one of those waves, you you become an icicle essentially, unless dot dot dot. And there are some more dodgy physics to cover that as well. So. Anyway, the film is about a diverse group played by a dazzling all-star cast that includes Matt Dillon lookalike, Damian Lewis lookalike, Walton Goggins lookalike, and Jorge Garcia lookalike. Uh, and they all get together to fight this catastrophe in ice. An ice-tastrophe, if you will. And thank God nobody actually says the title during the film. That would have been too much. I would have had to go up to the bell tower and take out a few innocent bystanders if that had happened. So, Hawk, um, there are a few silly moments that brighten things here. But I have to say my reaction to this film is a lot like my reaction to a lot of sci-fi films of this particular ilk. Um, certainly not good. It's not really inspirationally bad either. It's just kind of doggedly mediocre. Uh, I'm not sure how much the development cycle for TV uh, networks has changed. It used to be that an executive would get an idea and call in some producer to create the thing. And I can well see some sci-fi exec calling in the producers for this film and saying, it's called Ice Tastrophe and we want it to take place during Christmas. And then the producers go and whack this thing out. Not exactly an inspiring process. So I had a few laughs here and there, but my overall reaction was kind of meh. What was it like for you? It was like eating vanilla ice cream without the sugar. <laughs> it, it's just so, so bland. But it wants to be sweet. It does want to be sweet, but it feels so spectacularly in that. And it's like everybody... Um, went to generic university and graduated with a degree in archetypes. Everybody should just wear name tags. You know, <laughs> every man hero, uh, rich asshole, teenagers in love. And the teenagers in love don't need to have individual name tags. They can just share one. So paint by the numbers that I'm like, well, I know where this is going. I pretty much knew where this was going when the meteor split. 
oh, the meter is split. And there's a red blue shift. Oh, the blue one is the cold one. And it lands here. Oh, I bet you the solution. Oh, good Lord. I bet you the solution. I bet you this is foreshadowing. Lies in finding the red one. I bet you it's the hot one. <laughs> and lo and behold, it was. <laughs> I did not see that coming. Nor did I see things coming like, oh, the teenagers who are in love. One is the daughter of the rich asshole. One is the son of the angry man. Of course, rich asshole does not want his daughter wasting his her life on the son of an everyman. So he does not want them to be together. I have never seen that before. That has never occurred in movies or literature ever. Ever. <laughs> and I, I'm sorry I have to hold on. I sprained my sarcasm bone when I actually spoke. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, well, go and get some frozen peas and put, the, uh, put it on. <laughs> yes, always. Actually, Andrea. Oh, I'm sorry. Hawk, you want to finish up? Yeah, I just want to say, actually, I don't need frozen peas. I just have to walk into this town and I'll be fine. <laughs> Andrea, how was it for you? Um, I mean, I sort of was feeling while I was watching it that, like, it's a movie, but it's not like a real movie. And I didn't know <laughs> if that was because it was a TV movie or because it was if Canadian instead of American because the actors look like knockoffs of much more famous actors <laughs> yeah. or because the lead actors are, I'm going to say sixes and sevens instead of eights <laughs> and nines. <laughs> so the thing that disappointed me the most about the film is that we never got to hear anyone say, you got your ice in my catastrophe. You got your catastrophe in my ice. <laughs> I mean, it was it was fun in a sort of doofy sci-fi kind of way. But, you know, we, we, we need to sort of further explore some of the science in this movie later. Because that was where I was doing a lot of what? Yeah. Hold on, hold on, Andrea. I'm just going to interrupt. But science in this movie? There is. And most of it made me say, What? Um, I, I, you know, the, I guess the most entertaining part is like sort of the uh, the archetype thing, the name tag thing. Our hero is our hero, and like Charlie, he's the good guy. He's <laughs> he's a wonderful person. His hair stays perfect. He's good with tools, even though he's suddenly unemployed. He still wants to save the town. You're like, okay, I get it. You're the hero of this picture. I get it. I saw this film, uh, Corman film, Portrait in Terror. It, it wasn't directed by Corman. He produced it. But there was uh, an old guy, and he had named his dog Charlie. And he was walking around going, Charlie, Charlie. And that was a more creative use of the name than this film had. Go Just going to say, it's, it's, it's you know, a sort of enjoyable kind of a movie. It feels like a knockoff kind of a movie. And if you don't mind watching people run around in the snow and you don't watching somebody who looks kind of like Robert Patton, someone who looks like an evil Michael Hall and people who look, you know, everybody just kind of like someone more famous. And then there's a lot of snow and a lot of ice. A lot of ice. Uh, Kevin, how about you? How did it work for you? Evil Anthony Michael Hall is the name of my new punk band. <laughs> Watching this, I got the feeling that it wasn't originally filmed as a Christmas movie. Now, follow me with this. Okay. Oh, so I refuse to believe that. Because <laughs> here's the deal. So I'm watching it, right? And there's one big Christmas scene which features, like, a Santa Claus. So my theory is this film was filmed, and they said, you need to make this a Christmas movie. We'll film an extra scene with featuring a Santa Claus, and then everything else will be sort of special affected in later on. Because you're watching this movie, and like somebody's looking out the window, and around the frame of the window is Polly. People are walking through hallways, and in the back is some red and green streamers. So it's like, <laughs> they
They filmed it. And then Industrial White Magic, under the direction of George Lucas, went in and added in the Holly and stuff. Because there's nothing particularly Christmassy about this film, other than the mass deaths. Of course, a lot of those people come back from the dead at the end. So really, it's more like Easter. <laughs> so this might be a good Easter movie, but this is not watched as a Christmas movie. What is Christmassy about this movie, aside from the uh, cleverly, in big quotation marks, um, uh, applied nomenclature of Crooge and a girl whose name is Marley? And as long as I've got people listening, I am so tired of girls' first names being previously older guys' last names, like Mackenzie. <laughs> I'm just waiting to be introduced to a six-year-old girl whose first name is Feldman. <laughs> Nice. Honestly, though, I mean, well, we'll get to it when we get to the drinking game, but there were more mentions of Christmas than it should have been. And I'm looking now at the IMDb quotes. I remember Christmas being mentioned a lot, but I just noticed one of them with here, which is some a character says, well, I was hoping for a wet Christmas. And the response is, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> That's a corker. Oh, <laughs> uh, humor. <laughs> humor the last refuge of a crappy movie <laughs> okay crappy humor the last refuge of a crappy movie. well maybe all that was dubbed in afterwards because i mean there's helicopters and there's jet skis and there's <laughs> snowmobiles i mean aside from the fact that it takes place in winter kind of it's not a christmas movie why would die hard is a bigger christmas movie than this yeah <laughs> Well, there's a guy dressed as Santa Claus who that's, dies horribly. That's the scene that was added. I'm telling you, that's that sequence was added. That Santa Claus sequence was added later on. So um, we referenced this uh, earlier, but I, I want to delve into it a little more because this is the thing that impressed me about the movie. This is the widest goddamn fucking movie I have ever seen. Um, you know, I, I, I started watching it a few weeks ago and I only got like, 10 minutes in and afterwards I, w I was thinking did I, did I see any black faces in there? Did I see any Asian faces in there? And I was going that can't be right. You know, I, I must have missed it. So I started it from the beginning again. Nope. And it's true all the way through the film. Seinfeld had more diversity than this. Friends had more diversity than this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm amazed this wasn't a contender in this year's Oscars. Uh, you know, it's, oh, very nice. It's amazing. <laughs> Dan, the uh, lady scientist is of the Asian persuasion. Are, are you? Yes. Really? Yes. Really? Okay. Really? I just okay. looked her up they, on IMDb. She it, definitely she, is. A, now, Asian. Okay. Okay. So nobody of, there was that. I didn't quite. There's nobody of the Hispanic persuasion. There is nobody <laughs> of the African-American. No, no. But you, you, you know what? Let me say this. In the producer's defense, uh, you know, there are challenges that they did face with this. After all, it's not all that easy to find black actors looking for work. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, the thing about this film is that they really had no excuse. If you wanted to find a left-handed lesbian with a lazy eye and an anchor tattoo on her right bicep, I guarantee you that there are five waiting tables in Los Angeles. You just have to put in the effort. That's all. But maybe they, they could just, have found they, Maybe they just couldn't find any in Canada, Dan. <laughs> Even Frozen had rock troll. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, Hawk. Did you pick up on this? <laughs> did, did he pick up I, on it? For, 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 I yeah, uh, you might have but, noticed it, Dan. I tried to figure out how to answer this question because you're asking the one African American person. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I, you notice? And I'm like, did you notice there weren't anybody who who looked like you in this movie? <laughs> Yeah. How do you make a movie 
like this. I, I, I mean, I don't understand how that's even possible because at, even even now, just just to be lazy, they throw in the black best friend somewhere in there. You know, <laughs> I'm sur- I'm surprised he didn't have a buddy. So hey, hey Steve, yeah, hi. I am the only black person in the room, and we're best friends. Yes, we are. You know why you've been thrown in this room? Yes, absolutely. Because the black best friend serves um, several purposes. It's make sure that our friends are diverse, but it also says how accepting we are of people of color. And they didn't even bother. They just went, no. No, we're can't. It's Canada. We can't find any people of color here. Wait a minute. I think one of the cops was black. And then he died about two minutes later. Well, of <laughs> course, count? because he is. <laughs> All three seconds. What, 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 was, he, was he the first character to die? Uh, pretty soon. Uh, yeah. Like I had forgotten. One of the cops, I believe, was... They found the one. <laughs> and then, I take it all back then. <laughs> and then they killed him. Yeah. Because, of course, I have to go back to the movie Deep Blue Sea. Because... <laughs> Uh, LL Cool J is an enemy, and he lives to the end. And I'm mm-hmm. still shocked <laughs> to this that he lived to the end. They should have called him and asked him to be in this because he's invisible. <laughs> <laughs> How, however, in that film, the guy who usually survives to the end bites it. Yes. Well, the female love interest bites it, which is like, whoa. Yeah, that's true, too. Did Ice-T make it all the way to, not Ice-T, Ice Cube? Make it all the way to the end of uh, Anaconda. <laughs> you know, I mean, when we're talking no. about the, the classics of oh, the yeah, no, he, no, <laughs> wait a minute, no, you know, I'm not sure. Did he? I believe so. I well, if, Did he? Yeah. if he didn't die at the very, I mean, he he made it until the end. He and Jennifer yeah. Lopez and this are kind of yeah. the one at the end. <laughs> well, let's make nobody listening to this film, nobody listening to this podcast, should confuse this movie with say Straight Outta Compton. <laughs> it's still. <laughs> Pretty white. Yes. Really white. <laughs> Even uh, the background, mountains are white. Things that you <laughs> green and verdant are white. It's a whole oh, white. Oh, oh, please. Speaking of the green and verdant mountains turning into white, um, a lot of that light uh, that we're talking about in this case, that's artificial. Uh, there's a lot of CG ice in this movie. Uh, oh, sure. Oh, 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 yeah. They, they you know. They, uh, they they matted in a lot of bad CG. I mean, the CG effects just in general uh, of this are awful. awful. So, the so. scene where they cross the river to escape the ice <laughs> in the boat, and I'm just looking at the ice following them, and I'm like, wow. So your parents... Splurged on the Atari 64, huh? So, I know everybody is champing at bit to get at this topic. So let's talk about the physics of ice catastrophe. Shall we? Because it's let let me tell you my favorite thing. Because I I talked about the fact that this freezing thing comes in waves, but that is you'll excuse the expression the tip of the iceberg. Here it's. I'm sorry. Here's how it actually goes, and and I, I I may be reading this wrong, but apparently. There are these stalagmites that burst up out of the ground that form these giant crystal structures, and then they send out what I guess can only be called an ice pulse. You know, and what what what's fascinating uh, uh, about them is that they have a fantastic sense of timing. They always seem to pop up when a helicopter is coming down to rescue somebody. You know, so that 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 was the thing that that amazed me as far as the physics is concerned, because as far as I'm concerned, matter doesn't act like that. Well, lots of things that matter doesn't do. First of all, that level of freezing is pretty much impossible. You don't get instantaneous freezing in space. (laughs) So the physics of that are just. 
you don't get rivers spontaneously freezing that rapidly. It's a thing that happens over time. But somehow, this thing also bends space-time. You know, it doesn't just make ice, it bends space-time. You know what? Not only can we freeze things, let's fix it so that we move, you know, the several days it would take for this actually to happen. We just move to the end of that period. No, and wait a minute. But what is that science experiment that the teachers will do to impress the students where they take the flour and they dunk oh, it, in it in, into um, liquid nitrogen, into liquid nitrogen, and then they yeah. take it out and then they like poke it and it shatters. I think yeah. it's like the producers of the film saw that experiment and <laughs> make a movie like that. There is one point of actual science. Actually, I, I'm, I'm surprised. I, I missed I missed the stuff everybody else saw because I was so stunned by what I was seeing as being real. <laughs> which is when the meteorite arrives, it splits up, and the part that goes um, actually towards us is blue. And everybody goes, "Oh, that's the cold part." That moves away from us is red. And everybody else went, "Ooh, that's the hot part." I didn't notice that because that's actual Doppler color shift that I learned mm-hmm. about by watching Carl Sagan. On Cosmos. So things that move away from it do indeed have a red shift. Things that move towards us have a blue shift. I, I was so spoiled by that. That's why I didn't get the obvious hot and cold. Well, one, one of the things that I did note, and I checked this out on, on Google to be sure, is that the, uh, the science person here, Alex, um, does mention uh, a theory that water – the reason why the Earth has so much water, whereas the other planets do not, is that Earth got the water from meteoroids crashing into it. And it is a real theory. The problem is, what does that have to do with anything? You know, we're, it, 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 it's like we're getting into the area of homeopathy now, where water has some mag- mysterious magnetic aptitude that was hitherto unknown you know it's a meteoroid crashes into it and all of a sudden all the water on earth behaves this way yeah the reason why we have so much water is we're in what's called the goldilocks zone uh if we're not too close to the sun so it boils away we're not too far away that freezes what i don't understand is why does okay so yes pulses of cold great um water turning solid okay great how does it like burst up through the ground in <laughs> solid, massive, I assume, crystals? Uh, Kevin, because science? Oh, science! Science! <laughs> well, I also have to ask this. The cold piece is really, 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 really cold. But amazingly, the hot piece is only really, really high when you touch it. <laughs> Isn't it also really tiny? Like, it's like... It's yeah, very tiny. It's, it's only hot when you touch it. And somehow, rather than creating the hurricane or tornado or maelstrom that a super cold environment and a super hot environment one day hit each other. Ooh, good point. Instead of creating massive disruptive weather, we get the damn Garden of Eden. All we need is the damn snake. <laughs> According to this movie's own eternal logic. In the presence of this meteor, a super hot piece of meteorite, the trees should be bursting into flames. And instead, we just have this moderate temperature. So here's the thing. The movie uses lingo to, to try to trick us into thinking they know what they're talking about in the science department. And so characters will say things like, that meteorite is affecting the entire microclimate of this area, and we need a subatomic chain reaction. So you think it's like sciency? <laughs> but okay, so the meteorite splits into two. So the cold part goes to the cold half, and the hot part goes to the hot half, and you have the 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 the, the McDLT. Of- <laughs> I was thinking about it. Okay. <laughs> got the hot side hot and the cool side cool. So here's the issue. So the hot part of the meteorite lands on the top of the mountain, where, as one of the characters helpfully points out, oh, this was all snow, like as of yesterday, and now this is here, and then suddenly, okay, so you're there. It has turned into the Garden of Eden. 
you're on the top of the mountain that as of yesterday was covered by snow. Where did all the birds come from? <laughs> How about all the moss and the plants and the green trees? How did they all get there on the top of the mountain as of within the last hour? How did all of those things spring forth? Also, also, it's feeding the trees and the moss and the bird. Also, that itty-bitty hot part, the hot pocket part of the meteorite (laughs) is embedded in the earth near the top of the mountain. And that is then causing that entire environment, which has its own force field for reasons that defy explanation. So they take the thing and they wrap it up in a blanket and then they go down the mountain with it. Wouldn't moving the magical hot part (laughs) of the magical hot meteorite change the microclimate around them when they came down the mountain? Wow. (laughs) Exactly how much protection is that one itty-bitty blanket providing? (laughs) Is my question. Well, it's extra thick wool. Oh, okay. That's an no, bean blanket. That's good stuff. Yeah. Is, when people approach the giant crystals and, God forbid, they actually touch things, they, do they freeze solid? Because sh- a couple of people shatter, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, quite a few people shatter. And don't other people we think of frozen solid, like, gone, come back at the end of the movie? Wait, are they the heroes? Because there's, yeah, uh, there's a clear yep. hero's exemption in this picture. <laughs> Although there are a few. This has, I think, what has to be the earliest invocation of the hero's death exemption that I've ever seen. Usually, you know, they set up, you know, whatever it is, the weapon or the natural force or something. And you get about at least halfway through the film before you invoke the hero's death exemption. Pretty much near... Close to the first scene, pretty much right after things first fro- are frozen over, the hero wakes up and sees the guy next to him is dead. But our hero is not only not dead, he is not singed, he is not damaged by snow, and his hair is still perfect. <laughs> well, no, look, I mean, I, I, I did have that in my notes. Uh huh. So the same freezing effect that killed every other person who encountered it does not kill our heroes. It just leaves them a little damp. Oh, you know, you know why? I think you've got it now. His hair is perfect. That's because of the hairspray that he uses, and the fluorocarbons cause global warming around his body, and thus he's protected. Doesn't he wear a hat? One of the subjects they're looking for this uh, lost, the, the female young love interest, a female teenage girl named Marley, or Feldman, as I like to call her. <laughs> um, she's one of, she's, I think that's the, she's the only one not wearing a hat. Does she not know that 90% of your heat you lost through your head? Everybody else is wearing hoods and hats. She's the only one stumbling around in the snow without a hat. Somebody get her a hat. Kevin, yeah, she, but city, she not only girl. owns hats, she wears jackets with hoods and won't put the hood up. <laughs> so I don't know if it was just like she doesn't know how hoods work <laughs> because she is such a raving moron or just like, oh, it wouldn't look pretty if I well, she, open she, it up. She's, she's the one who gets covered in snow, right? Is, is that, she, that's she's her, buried in, like, she's not actually frozen. She, she's in, ah, she's I'm, under, I'm underneath two inches of snow. The avalanche falls on her. Her fingers poke up through the, through the yeah, the, the inch and a half of snow. It's like, ah. Help oh. me, help me, I've got a light dusting. Can, can I shift gears for a second to talk about some of the technical aspects of this film, which just really, really fail. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, there are a lot of close-ups in this movie. A lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're used as reaction shots for a lot of things. And you realize the close-ups are to actually hide the special effects or the lack of some. 
So there's a lot of moments where they speak in exposition, they react to something, it's a close-up, but it's like, well, we just saved a bunch of money. <laughs> and um, the other thing is there's a lot of editing miscues, or at least story miscues, kind of. Um, one of the big ones is in the, early in the movie, in order to fight off one of these ice pulses, Ratchet hides in the car with someone. I don't know exactly who he's hiding in the car with, but he hides in the car with someone, and the car is frozen over, and they get stuck, and they can't get out. The next scene, he's saving someone else. <laughs> he's out of the car. How did he get out of the car? As um, it said in Misery, he never got out of the cockatoo car. <laughs> well, well, here's here's the thing, and you bring up a good point, is that one of the big flaws of this film is that you never really have a good sense of place and you never really have a good sense of where everybody is in relation to each other. You think that people are like three hours away and then a character will walk out of one scene and directly into another scene uh, where you where you think, well, he would have had to walk overnight to get there, but apparently not. Um, you know, so it, it, it's you just there's just no sense, and you know, it's it's like apparently, although if if I had tried to do it, I may have problems establishing, you know, the relationship of people in in, in a filmic space, but. After a hundred years of filmmaking, people have seemed to have gotten it down, except for this film. Yeah, and there's little things that make absolutely no sense, even from their generic character genericness. Um, why does Charlie Ratchet lie to his son about his friend being dead? He just lies about it, and then that's never picked up. Well, here's the other thing about that. At the beginning of the film, when we meet Charlie... Um, his son and I guess his son's best friend are fooling around with dad's dynamite. Now, I, I, I looked into this a little bit just to confirm sort, sort of the things that I knew. And I mean, in order to handle dynamite, you have to be licensed by the federal government. Um, and granted, I, I gather there are a lot of assholes who have these licenses because there are guys going out fishing with dynamite and shit like that. But at least from what I've seen on Mythbusters, you know, I, I, I have to say that most people licensed to handle high explosives take securing those explosives kind of seriously, you know, and, and when, when Charlie discovers his son fooling around with it, he's like, oh, you kids. And it actually should be. Are you fucking kidding? You want to see me in jail? You want me, you want to kill yourself? You know, it, as as a matter of fact, this may be the only uh, occasion when corporal punishment with an extension cord is fully justified. You know, not not even child services would object to that. You know, now see here, Mister Ratchet, we must protect our children from abusive. He was playing with dynamite. What? Oh fuck, man! Give me the cord. I'll lay into him. You know that. That sort of stuff. It's, it's behavior doesn't make sense here. Plus, that's a Chekhov's gun that never gets fired. Oh, oh well, yeah, no, they, 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 they use... do throw dynamite later. Oh, 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 my God, you're wrong. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're they riding, do. They don't. The kids don't. It's, it's our hero. That's right. He's yeah. on, no, no, he's driving this the snowmobile. The scientist is on the bank throwing dynamite at the encroaching wave that set off a encroaching wave to stop it. Yeah, but then they end up dropping the whole box anyway, so it's, it is limited. Yeah. Dan, your, your, well, your expectations, okay? You need to find a happy medium between reality and what reality should be and Wiley Coyote with the Acme catalog. <laughs> you know, you can get your hands on explosives and have humorous effects from it. I love it. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, watching this film did make me feel like running off a cliff. 
also, narratively, can I ask a question? Why does this movie start with the six hours earlier? And <laughs> because if they just told us very linearly, nothing would have changed. No, nothing would have I guess. But the thing is, the beginning of the movie is pretty slow. So maybe they just wanted to make sure they wouldn't change the channel. Yeah, they they had to start with an action sequence. We promise although, you that something exciting will happen in this movie. And now I, the opening of a mall. <laughs> <laughs> although I have to say the action sequence does feature some uh, or, or, or examples of another of this film's prominent feature, which is the absolutely awful dialogue. You know, this this thing was written by David Sanderson, and he comes up with such memorable lines as run and faster and the classic we're running out of lake, which I'm not sure what that means. Amazingly, yelling at someone to go faster doesn't always make them go faster. (laughs) What what, what I find fascinating is that there isn't any scene where someone actually uh, says Go, 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 go. You know, I think it may have been a scene that they left out of this film. They do say we got to keep moving. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Apparently they like to move it. Move it. <laughs> oh, oh, please. No Madagascar here. Sorry. So um, let's see. Is there anything uh, anybody else wants to bring up about this film? Um, I just want to throw in there that, you know, I watched the movie once, like a month ago, and then once I knew that we were going to be recording, I watched it again, and so that time, uh, my boyfriend was with me, and so I was sort of gauging his reactions to it. So, mm-hmm. uh, some of his reactions I, I thought were, were entertaining. So I wrote down a couple of said at the beginning of the film, which included verbatim, what? And <laughs> how are they even going to explain this? And, wow, that really didn't mess up his hair, did it? <laughs> and then he left, and then he le- then he uh, he laughed, and then he left the room to go do the dishes. So, but uh, it was just as soon as I was like, okay. And uh, that, oh, then he came back later when the stuff me going on, and I said, oh, if you thought the science was stupid, get ready because it's gonna get stupider. <laughs> This is a very bad way to catch a cold. <laughs> by, by the way, I do want to point out as far as lack of creative writing is that when when he actually is being creative, you actually wish he hadn't. So there's like a, a sequence where the helicopter guy is on patrol and he gets a call from somebody saying, you know, he's got to go and help somebody who's trapped in the snow. And his actual line is, what would Christmas be without someone needing to be rescued? And at that point, I, I, I was sort of like, come here, dearie, let me punch you in the taint. My favorite line of dialogue was between hella skiing company people talking to each other over their, uh, uh, I was going to say their walkie-talkies, but, you know, a communication thing. Mm-hmm. And one of them said, Roger that, Big C. I'm on my way. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> Who named C? Did he name himself Big C? I don't believe this. I'm having trouble believing in the characters. So I, I want to give this movie two things that it actually deserves. Um, it's shocking. It's probably one bit of praise I'll give it. That the female scientist is not useless. She is active throughout. She has her own agency. She is an actual individual person. And when she talks, her conversations are about the science. Who does thunk? This woman knows how to put on her hood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So um, is there anything else anybody wants to talk about here? Anybody? Now I think we're on, to, on to our okay. games. Yes, let's do this. Okay, so let's uh, let's then tackle what we learned from this movie. So, um, so Hawk, what did you learn from Icetastrophe? One hour and twenty six minutes is an eternity. <laughs> <laughs> Andrea, uh, a character saying, "Don't worry about me," 
means I'm about to die. <laughs> Kevin? Flash thawing doesn't damage frozen things at all, but you still don't want to try it on your more expensive cuts of meat. <laughs> Alien water is magnetically attracted to rescue missions. Go. Oh. Astrophysicists know how to manage microclimates. Uh, ice is a lot noisier than you'd imagine. Christmas miracles now include bringing the dead back to life. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Christmas coming earlier this year. The hero death exemption is coming earlier this year. You can get over the loss of your son just before the credits. <laughs> Chevrolets are faster than ice catastrophes. I'll tell you what I didn't learn, and that's whatever snow does in summer. (laughs) The Christmas Carol references would be helpful if this film had anything to do with a Christmas Carol. Hot meteor plus cold meteor equals temperate meteor. (laughs) All right, I'm going to touch on one of the things on this movie that irritated me the most, so get ready. Um, You know what you should not do when an out-of-this-world disaster strikes? Don't bother shooting any photos or videos. Serious? No one ever shot any photos or video? Giant snow crystals are damn tough. Ice has emotional states and is afraid of heat. The warmth of teenage love can stop super ice storms. Mm. And on a related note, miners' lanterns can save you from an ice catastrophe. That my last one. If you can drive a speedboat, you can drive a snowmobile, or maybe vice versa. <laughs> ah. Okay, so, and my final one. The film's called Ice Tastrophe because White Christmas was already oh, taken. <laughs> ah, no. Oh, God. <laughs> I have actually two more. If you're young and attractive, then no matter how cold it is, you should never put your hood up. Otherwise, people won't be able to see how pretty you are. (laughs) And it's easy to survive a helicopter crash or being flash frozen if you're a major character. (laughs) Oh, Kevin, I'm out. But oh, you know what? Speaking of Hawk talking about how cheap this was, this is the only movie I've ever seen that has a helicopter crash, but no explosion of the helicopter. (laughs) Okay, and we'd better move on to the drinking game now. So, Hawk, start us off. Every time the teenage romance gets angsty or introspective, take a drink. Uh, You should take a drink every time someone makes a reference to Christmas. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Alcohol poisoning. (laughs) Take a drink every time someone says, really? Because they really say it a lot. Every time you see the mayor's holiday-bedecked car and think to yourself, Mayor Dewey, Mayor Dewey, take a drink. Obscure Steven Universe reference. Mm. Every time the rich asshole acts like a rich asshole. (laughs) Take a drink every time you notice a Canadian accent. (laughs) Eh? Hey. Yeah, what's that all about? <laughs> Take a drink every time someone looks at their cell phone anxiously. Ah. Every time you think, oh yeah, there's a romantic triangle going on between the teenagers, and why should I care? Take a drink. Every time the laws of physics are bent with bare hands and bad CGI. Take a drink. <laughs> um. Take a drink every time somebody says, what do you mean, in response to something that doesn't require any follow-up explanation, like, it looks like an Arctic wasteland. What do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? (laughs) Arctic wasteland, come on. Really? (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Take a drink every time Marley stumbles. Every time you think of a possible remake of A Christmas Carol in which the ghosts of Archimedes, Isaac Newton, and Albert Einstein visit <laughs> David Sanderson to explain how physics works. Wow. Take a drink. <laughs> I'd love to see that. I'd pay cash money to see that. Every time it feels like the director skipped a page in the script, 
Take a drink. <laughs> okay, I have one more. Take a drink every time you question how science works in this movie. Science! <laughs> Take a drink every time somebody yells, Run! Every time you wish that a title with GPS coordinates popped up just so you could figure out where the fuck things were taking place, take a drink. Every time the foreshadowing isn't subtle and you think, that guy's going to die, take a drink. Uh, I'm out. Kevin? Every, okay, I've got a couple. Uh, take a drink every time a person shatters. <laughs> there you go. That's every, good. Yeah. Every time there's another forced holiday reference, chug an entire punch bowl of spiked eggnog. Ha! Mm. Every time someone does the obviously stupid thing, take a drink. <laughs> well. Oh. All right, my last one. Take a drink every time somebody says, we gotta keep moving. Ha! <laughs> every time it becomes obvious that the entire cast and crew will be getting coal in their stockings for the rest of their lives... Leave out some milk and cookies and wait for Santa. <laughs> and I'm out, too. Uh, Hawk, do you have any more? I have two more. Okay, go for it. Every time a hero should be dead, take a drink. <laughs> In their honor. And every time you see a person of color, oh, wait. That's, uh, that's for the dry countings uh, of our listeners. <laughs> and that's it for Ice-tastrophe, and that's enough. Uh, okay, so, Andrea, it's your call for the next film. What? And, and by the way, she sent a uh, uh, an email to us announcing that she had a film picked and followed it up by textually cackling evilly. So... I've got shivers now, Andrea. What have you got for us? Yeah, so I went through Netflix Instant. I watched a bunch of bad movie candidates. I mean, including some that were just resolutely terrible or boring or boringly terrible. Um, any of which might be my backup movie if Netflix does what it does half the time when I pick something and yanks it. But I am keeping my fingers crossed that this will stay in Netflix Instant. The next time we are recording, we will be discussing the Italian fever dream known as the 2002 version of Pinocchio starring Roberto Benigni. Oh, whoa. Oh, my God. If you ever wanted to see a strange foreign film about a 40-something year old man scampering around pretending to be a little puppet boy then this is the movie for you i love everybody <laughs> and what's even worse is the english language dubbing by some very recognizable american and english actors Please tell me H. John Benjamin is in there somewhere. Well, there there are voices that you will recognize from uh, such varied sources as, um, uh, well, one of our heroes from Monty Python's Flying Circus, um, and a voice that you might hear a lot if you listen to Robot Chicken. Uh, a wide variety of acting oh, wow. skills <laughs> went into dubbing this mess of a movie. Good Lord. I've heard about this film. I had oh. heard about this film. Oh wow! Okay, so <laughs> oh yes. Uh, okay, so be uh, uh, be fearful and tremble. Wow! Get ready. Oh yeah. Oh man, I'm I'm, I'm kind of champing at the bit now. And start that. preparing yourself for the drinking game by making tiramisu. And you take the lady fingers, and you're going to soak them in about ten times the amount of alcohol <laughs> that the recipe calls for. So like. Watch the movie and then, like, have the tiramisu while you're having it. You will be, like, so in a mood. It's kind <laughs> okay. of amazing. Uh, okay, so, Andrea, uh, let's find out this about you. What's going on over at BeABetterBookTalker.com? Be a better book talker. Oh, same old, same old. You know, <laughs> learn about uh, books that will entice reluctant readers. There's fiction, there's nonfiction, mostly for teens, sometimes for kids. Come and get some recommendations, man. Okay. And Kevin, 
what's going on over at kevinlauderdale.livejournal.com and or chronicrift.com. Such a Luddite. Uh, lots of stuff about the other podcasts I do, old-time radio podcasts, complete with annotations, so you'll get those Alf Landon references. And um, anything else I find funny, I'm going to be on a couple of other uh, other network podcasts, but you should be sure and join Chronic Rift. Subscribe on iTunes, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, subscribe to everything. Listen to it all. Okay. Hawk, stuff going on over at yeah. multimediumrare.com. Well, I have been discussing my life as I go through the 100 push-up challenge. Uh, ah. Just so you know, I can't do 100. Uh, but I can do five times more push-ups than I could when I started. And I can do 100 push-ups in a day. So uh, I've improved my fitness and my health. It's part of that he's been covered. And I also have a discussion of why people who have seen Batman versus Superman have made some of the wrong criticisms. There are some legit criticisms, but they've made some of the wrong ones for reasons. And I discuss why. I still haven't seen the film, and after all of this, I, I, I now do want to go and see it, mostly because... If, if, if you've noticed all, not all, but quite a few of the criticisms sort of contain hidden in it a, a grudging admiration for the film in some ways. Yes, and but also people pick on things in the film that plus to pick on. I, I like it. I understand why other people wouldn't necessarily like it. And there's lots to pick on. Um, the thing... Zack Snyder, uh, you know, his best stuff is all and he's very good at the action type stuff, and yet he has this sort of, I want to direct. I'm like, dude, just be Michael Bay. You're the that one. <laughs> but uh, people seem to have it in for him, and so their logic keeps falling through and just ways to actually insult him. And I talk about just why they're off. You know, mm. slow on the nerd range. Okay. And as for me, I'm now involved in something really, really cool because uh, coming on June 26th, uh, you can check out the Monster Channel 24 hours of scary movies, TV shows, music videos available on Roku and iOS and online over at monsterchannel.com. TV. And if you want to listen to my reviews, you can hear them every Thursday morning at 1.30 a.m. on Hour of the Wolf at WBAI 99.5 FM in New York. And you can stream uh, it as well and also hit the archives as well over at WBAI.org. And um, you're already listening to the show, so... Probably you figured out where to find it. But remember, we are available at templeofbad.com and also cinefantastiqueonline.com and mightymoviepodcast.com. And that's enough, isn't it? Of course it is. So, uh, that's it for the show. Hawk, fascinating choice. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Andrea, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure. And Kevin, Mondo, thanks to you, too. All that ice and the one anthropomorphic sidekick. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> and I'm Dan Persons, your host and producer. This episode was edited by Kevin Lauderdale. Thank you, Kevin. And the music is by Brad Sucks at bradsucks.net. Thanks for listening, and until next time, may a bad film be the worst thing that happens to you. Let it go, let it go. Sorry. Ah. <laughs> 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 okay. It's the same thing out of your mouth, a little full
Hawk, do you know what I was talking about when I said something about bursting? No, what? I have no idea. All right, so basically I'm going to like play these back and tell you guys what you were talking about. <laughs> Good, because that was the other thing. I'm like, what the hell did I say? I'm sure I said something about dynamite, and I'm sure it was hilarious, but I have no idea what I said. Okay, everybody, feel free to laugh if you want to. Yeah, because I'm going to say something hilarious now. Okay, so okay. Andrew, start from scratch. Here comes that bit, all right? And the part. <laughs> oh, not yet. I Sorry. need to see it. Say it, Dan, Sorry. first. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So, up in these parts in. Okay, Hawk's bet. Let me go to 2642 here. According to the internal physics, the trees are all fine. The trees should be bursting, what, in the flame? I, that's the part where it gets garbled. I think Hawk bursting is. the embers or something like that. Or bursting okay. into flames, something. Bursting yeah. into flames is fine. I can work around this. Do me a favor, Hawk, because Kevin may be able to cobble it together from those oh, two. Yeah. Do one it more time. One more time, please. With feeling. <laughs> With damn feeling. A little more energy this time, Hawk. Well, actually, that it constantly pisses me off, so I'm getting more and more energy <laughs> every time they talk about it. <laughs> um, okay, 3722. I feel like. Ooh, this is supposed to be what Andre Romano does. I'll tell you what I didn't learn, and that's what it does in the summer. Oh, <laughs> I'll tell you what I didn't learn, and that's whatever snow does in summer. That sounded good. Good thing I remembered my ad libs. 